What's up, guys? How we doing? Ooh. What's up? Yes, my name's Ernie, and yes, I did have a neighbor named Bert. All right. And he was, he was an old man that lived across the street. And I talked to him about, like, uh, Saints football and a bunch of random stuff at the, as I waited on the bus. He was a goofy guy. We weren't that good of friends. Anyways, well, it's great to be here at Salt Company. Uh, yeah, I'm the, my name is Ernie, and it really is that my, my name. That is it is my name. Is it is, is my name. It's, uh, my full name is Ernest Louis Benoit III, all right? Sounds like royalty. I always wonder, though, I should be the fourth because my great-grandpa was named Ernest Benoit, but for some reason, he didn't name his son Ernest Benoit Jr. He gave him a middle name, Louis, so it's like, I guess he just wasn't worthy to carry it on, and I'm just the measure of how unworthy we all were for my grand-grandpa. Well, anyways, um, I, yeah, so I am the pastor at, at Mercy Hill Church, meets right here, and just a little bit about our church that you haven't seen, if you haven't been to it, like, we'd love for you to come check it out. We're a church that cares about the college ministry in the city. We care about the university in the city. The reason why we came here was because of you guys. Like, that's the only reason we're in the city. The last thing Mercy Hill Church would stop doing if we were dying would be trying to reach the campus. And, it's, and why we do that is because we believe that you are the most strategic, important people to reach because God loves using 18 to 22-year-olds to flip the world upside down. I've seen it, I've experienced it on multiple different countries and for like years and years. I've been involved in college ministry since I was a college student. See, God grew this, this, this heart for college students in me because when I was a student, somebody taught me what it was to read the Bible, to follow God, to make disciples, and then to go to the ends of the earth and do it. And I've seen people that have given up the American dream and have moved to some of the most amazing places to take part in what God was doing. And I don't even get to talk to many of them anymore because many of them don't have phones or places or ways to get in contact with them because of where they went. And I've watched and heard the stories when they would write back and see the things that they did and be so amazed and humbled by how God loves to use people like you and me to make an incredible difference in people's lives. See, our dream at Mercy Hill Church it's not that we'd be a big church, but we'd be a transformational church. That we'd see God transform people's lives on the campus and in the city in a way that it'd be undeniable that it was God that did it and not us. We wanna we want see God do something that we can't do ourselves. So anyways, I wanna share a little bit about me. All right, I'm married. Yes, somebody did marry me. We got a picture of her. And you're gonna be even more confused to see who did. You're like, someone shouldn't belong in that photo, and it's me, all right? And, and, he, and here's the thing, all right? Uh, my wife is not only completely beautiful on the outside, she's completely beautiful on the inside. Ladies, if she will let you, there's some girls clapping in here, if she will let you wash dishes with her for an hour just to hang out or do whatever she's doing, I can't encourage you enough to go and try to spend time with that woman. Just capture any moment you can because she is amazing. Guys, back off. All right, not for you, for me, okay? All right, and look, but I can tell you this. This is what you need to do. If you want an awesome lady like my lady, you need to find a woman that has one flaw and take complete advantage of that flaw. You know what it is? Find a woman that, makes, that has poor judgment in men, all right? 
That's it right there. Just that's all you need. Okay, just one flaw. That's her only flaw. She's amazing. So we have three kids. Jackson is our little boy. He's eight. Um, he is just like this freak psychopath athlete. Like he climbs on everything. He's got this, like, he's doing jujitsu right now, and he's so good at it. I love bragging about him. He's so good at it that he now has to, like, wrestle instructors because the kids, he just, like, overpowers them all. And then, so this one 14-year-old girl just, like, really drilled him into the ground yesterday. It was really funny. I was like, you humbled yet? He's like, yes. He's like, I couldn't breathe. But he is a true speaker. He loves the Lord. He's great. There's so many amazing stories about him. And then, then there's Ella, all right? She's the one, the, the five-year-old, the one that's smiling, like, huh, like this? All right, uh, we call her boss lady because everyone ends up working for her and they have no idea how. You're like, why am I carrying your stuff and doing all your chores? She's like, I don't know. It happens all of the time. It's unbelievable. And then Gracie, the one that looks innocent, she's the bulldozer, all right? If, in fact, we, we, me and my wife laugh about this. If our kids were a movie, in a movie, all right, Gracie would be the enforcer, Ella would be running the mob, and Jackson would be like that detective trying to like figure out how to take down the mob, all right? And that's how our family would play out, and it does on a regular basis. And so it's a lot of fun. And having kids is great. They ask you all kinds of weird questions. You know, my daughter, while she's in the bathroom today, she comes into the bathroom, the door's closed, and through the door she goes, what are you doing? I was like, I'm conquering Russia. What do you think I'm doing? You know, I'm using the bathroom. She goes, okay, and then walks away. I was like... What are you doing here? You know, like, what's going on? You know, are, my, are they like, why is the sky blue and the grass green? You know, why aren't there two suns? You know, one, one Ella said to me, I love this one, because I was telling her, Ella, she talks all the time. I was like, she's the daughter of a pastor, so it makes sense. And so I'm like, Ella, you got two ears, you got one mouth. You need to listen twice as much as you talk. She's like, God, well, why don't I have two mouths? Because I have a lot to say. <laughs> you know? So all these questions that they ask, I'm like, oh my goodness. And now my son is getting old enough. He's more serious. He's beginning to think of questions that are like, actually like catch us on our toes from time to time. You know, like the last question I got from him was like, dad, if, if God's good, then why is there evil and bad people in the world? And why do bad things happen? Ask that to my wife while she's like screaming at a one-year-old, you know? It's impossible. But that's a question that he's starting to tap into that is, is not just little kids asking weird questions or trivial things. They're actually something we all experience. I, I, I bet if I took a poll, every single one of us in this, in this room would have a moment where we were like, yeah, there's a moment where I really wondered, where's God in this moment? Why is he allowing this to happen? What did I do? Am I responsible I mean, when you ask, when they, when they do a poll and they ask the question, you can ask God one question. You know what it is? The one that's predominantly favored for people to ask? Why does God allow these things? And I'm thankful that the Bible isn't silent about it. I'm thankful that there's answers. Because I want to suggest to you tonight that your suffering isn't Meaningless that God isn't absent or asleep at the wheel, that whatever you're going through, it doesn't need to dominate you and rule your life. See, because tonight we're gonna look at a passage in John chapter nine. You can go ahead and open your Bibles. If you, have one of the, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible on the floor. You could pick it up. It could be yours. We'd love for you to keep that. 
on page 523 or 522 of that book is John chapter 9. So just open up the 522 and you'll see it, John chapter 9. But in this, in, in this story, you're going to see how God intersects with someone who's been suffering for a very long time. And you're going to see how God intimately deals with his issues. And what I hope we get from tonight is that we see very simply that God is the healer to our biggest problem. All right, let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to open the Bible, to read it, to talk through it. God, I ask that we would have a heart of anticipation about what you're going to do, that we would have a moment, a moment of clarity, of complete focus in what it means to follow you and walk through suffering and, and what you and how you impact us and challenge us and step into our lives and create healing within us, even in really difficult moments. God, we love you. We praise you. Amen. All right, we're going to read the whole chapter, so get ready, all right? Chapter, chapter 1, chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that his man, this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, right here, just look at me. Look up here. Right here, what Jesus is trying to tell to his disciples is that, the, and the thing that we need to hear is this, no suffering is meaningless. No suffering is meaningless. Look at the question that the disciples are asking Jesus. They're saying, hey, who sinned? His parents or him? Why are they saying that? The, the real question they're asking is, why is this man born blind? Why has this immense suffering that's come upon him? Because if you're blind in ancient world, like there's no one helping you if your parents aren't helping you. The only road that you have for any life is just the charity of others. And so you will spend your life just sitting against the wall that hopefully someone helped you there and then asking for people to give you money. That is the only life you could have as a blind person in this culture at this time because of that, because ancient world, they just, they just, they just didn't deal with it. And the, the disciples are asking this question because they're, in their cultural view of suffering, it worked like this. If you did something bad, something bad happened to you. You ever lived in that? If you do something bad, something bad happened. If you do something good, something good happened to you. In fact, they believed it so much that it was like, even if you did, they believed that you could do something bad in your mother's womb or your parents could have done something bad and this is why it happened to you. So every time that they would see somebody that was lame or blind or hurt or, or, or in some kind of pain, the first thing that came to their mind is like, what did you do to bring this upon yourself? What did you do? Why did you do it? Maybe that's you in this room. That's the narrative tape that plays in your mind. What did I do to deserve this? Why is this happening to me? It must be because of blank. Or maybe it was because of this or that or whatever it is. 
That's the question that you're asking. And before we talk about Jesus' response, I just want to talk about suffering for a few minutes, about a biblical view of suffering, okay? Suffering happens in this world. Sometimes it happens because we do sin, right? Like, if you lie to your friends, they're going to stop wanting to be your friends, and you're going to suffer for that, right? If you cheat on your girlfriend and she finds out, you're going to be sad because you're not going to have a girlfriend. That's you suffering the consequences of sinful behavior. That's you stepping outside of God's design. See, here's something we need to understand about sin. It's, it's fundamental to understanding this kind of suffering. All right? God does not say don't do certain things because he doesn't want you to have fun. God says don't do certain things because they're harmful for you. Because what we need to understand about sin is that while it may be fun for a little while, it's detrimental towards your soul and your life. And what it wants to do is destroy you. And because God loves you, he does not want you to be destroyed by sin. In John 15, Jesus said this. He says, hey, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And if you keep my commandments, my joy will be in you and your joy will overflow. See, God gives us laws and commandments and a way of living because he said, I've created you to live in this certain kind of way, but if you don't live that way, it's not gonna work. It's like, it's like what we wanna do is sin is like this. It's like taking a car that's supposed to work on land. We're like, nope, I wanna take it in the water. I'm gonna take it in the boat. Michael Scott says, we're just gonna go right into that ocean, right there, right into that lake, all right? It's not gonna work out well, but that's what we do. We're like, why isn't the car working? Because it's not meant for the water, it's meant for the land. And so we experience the consequences of that. Sometimes we experience suffering because others sin against us, right? And let me just say this really quickly. If that's the kind of suffering you're experiencing, especially when they've done something awful to you, when you've been abused, when you've been hurt in ways that you should never have been hurt in, you tend to blame yourself. And the first thing I want to say about that is it's not your fault. What happened to you is the result of someone else's sin. And the pain you're experiencing is not something you did, but something has been done to you because of sin in someone else's life. Sometimes we experience suffering because we live in a fallen world. Like I'm from New Orleans. Storms try to wipe it off the map every decade. It's like every decade, let's just clean the whole city. Woo, it's all gone. New hurricane, goodbye. And every time that happens, there's always people like, where is God? What is he doing? Where is he? Asking those questions. And what we can see in Genesis is that suffering happens sometimes like that because we live, when we sinned, we threw what the Bible calls out the shalom of the world, the rhythm of the world that God created it to work. It's like we were a part of this world, like a watch, and you just break one gear, and that watch, the whole watch is broken. And so we, we experience the consequences of that. Sometimes we experience suffering because we follow Christ. 
Like there are people in Afghanistan, there are tens of thousands of Christians in Afghanistan right now being killed, tortured, enslaved, sexually abused, and traded like cattle just because they follow Christ. There are pastors in China right now being bulldozed by the government, literally, because they won't get out of the way of the church they're going to bulldoze over. You may not experience that kind of suffering in America, but the suffering that you will experience if you believe in this book, if you follow this book, is that you will be unjustly called names that are not true. You'll be unjustly hated because this will become the lens that you see the world through, not culture. And this will cause a, a, a split in values. Suffering happens. And here's the thing Jesus wants us to know, is that you don't need to be condemned by it, but God can use it for your good. Look at what he says here. He said, hey, this man isn't suffering. He isn't blind because of sin. He's blind that the work of God may be displayed in him. Like, wait, well, what? God said, I got a plan. He may have been born blind because he lives in a fallen world and all that stuff, but I got a plan for the redemption of him. That's going to be a picture to us to see God's greater redemption story that he has for us. In fact, God is so amazing. Listen to me, guys. That he will take the worst thing that ever happened to you. And if you entrust it to him, he will turn it into something beautiful. He will use the worst thing to bring out the most beautiful thing. See, because suffering, God can use it in our lives. Like, suffering equips us. It equips us to, like, here's some of the things that suffering does. It equips us to minister to other people. In 2 Corinthians 1, it says this, verse 3, it says, the God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our, in our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we received ourselves are comforted by God. What does that verse say? It says God will use your hardship, your suffering, in order to help you love and care for other people that are suffering by, leaning, by learning to lean on God. Have you seen that true in your story? Not only will he use your suffering to equip you, but he'll also use it to strengthen us. James says, count it, all, count it all joy when you experience various trials, for you know that it brings about perseverance and patience in your life. Paul looked at, looked at God and said he had a thorn in his side. He said, three times I asked God to remove it. You know what God told him? My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. See, the strength that we get when we suffer in a Christian way, when we put our sufferings before God, the strength that we get is not pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but it's finding the source of strength that comes from God that holds you up even when your knees are shaking. Me and my family had a moment like this. A couple of years ago before uh, we had Gracie, we found out we were pregnant with our third child. And then a couple of weeks later, we went to go 
to the doctor to hear the heartbeat, and we're all excited. There's no heartbeat. I remember those moments of pain and wondering why did this happen to us? Why? How could this be? That as we leaned on God, looked at his word, and proclaimed this hope that he was just carrying us through. And now we've looked back to that moment, like we're still mournful that we don't have a fourth child in our family. But we are so thankful for how God picked us up in it and strengthened us and carried us. Sin also correct, I mean, suffering also corrects us. God uses suffering to correct us. When we do the wrong thing, he allows us to experience the pain of those wrong decisions. In fact, Psalm 119 says like this, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. C.S. Lewis said this, pain plants the flag of truth in a fortress of a rebel soul. That God will allow suffering because he wants to tell us you're going in the wrong direction. So that's suffering. And God's response to it seen in this picture is he runs to it, not away from it. Look at verse four. What does he say in verse four? He said, we must work the work of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. What is Jesus saying to his disciples? His disciples are like, yo, isn't that weird? Isn't that crazy? Like, look, look, like people, this guy's suffering because why is he suffering and making game? Let's have a discussion about it. And she's like, I don't wanna have a theoretical conversation about suffering. I wanna be part of the solution. And while I'm here, while I'm here on this earth, I wanna be a part of making broken things whole. And that's what you should be about as well. Now, here's the issue. We don't respond like Jesus. Who do we respond like? We respond like disciples. We love talking about how we can make the world a better place. We love talking about starvation and how to deal with it. Man, there was this, this thing like Coney 2012. Anybody remember that? None of y'all old enough for that, are y'all? All right? Coney 2012, big Instagram video. I mean, not Instagram, YouTube, all right? YouTube video, learn your social media, old guy. All right, big YouTube video. It was an hour long. Within a couple of minutes, it had like 50 million views or something like that. Like you could barely download it because so many people watched it so much. And the whole hope was, we're gonna make this guy famous and the world won't like him and therefore we'll get him out and he'll stop using kids as, child, as like child soldiers. Guess what? He's still in Africa doing what he was doing almost a decade later. And it's not like we don't have the resources to take him down. Because humanity, we love talking about solutions. Jesus loves being the solution. You understand that? And Jesus wants to be that solution for us. And so look at verses six and seven. What does he do? Having said these things, he spits on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Now, he did that because I have no idea. I have no idea why he spit on the ground. And like some people, and no one knows, all right? It's just a bunch of opinions. It's like, well, maybe he just didn't want people to, to, you know, to practice this method, so he was always healing in different methods. Or maybe it had something to do with like the breath of God and like just back to creation with the breath of God and dust and how he brought forth human, how he's bringing forth new eyes. Like, we don't know, but we just know he does this thing and, what, and then he tells them to go wash in this pool and then he comes back and boom, the guy can see right there. But what I want us to see about this is what, when God intervenes in your life, 
when he's the healer of your life, there's three things we need to understand about. One is that it's personal. Two is that it's miraculous. And three, that it gives reason and evidence of God's work in your life, all right? It's personal because Jesus comes up and touches that guy and begins talking to him. Don't get past the idea that he touched them, all right? It's easy for us to be like, why did he spit? But don't get past the idea that he touched them because he didn't have to. Jesus could just showed up and been like, all sick people over here, all hurt people over here, boom, you're healed, done, next town. You know, in fact, he could just said, everyone's healed right now. But what we need to understand what Jesus is doing here is that Jesus' mission was not primarily a mission against disease, but a ministry to individual people, some of whom happened to have a disease. He wanted those people one by one to feel his love. Jesus knew he could not readily and readily demonstrate love to a crowd for love usually involves touch. Think about it. When you love someone, they're in pain, what do you end up doing? Put your arm around them. Put your hands on them. You hold their hand. When Jesus wants to bring healing in your life, it's not just to make your life better, but to personally be involved in your life. Secondly, it's miraculous. We're not gonna have time to read all through this. But just to summarize verses, all the way to verses eight through 34, is that when people see the man, they can't believe what they've seen. That they begin to question him over and over and over and over again. And he keeps pointing back to like, I don't know, Jesus healed me. And the Pharisees can't believe, so they're getting angrier and angrier and angrier. In fact, that for the longest time, a, a good portion of the story is they think he's the wrong guy. They're like, no, you can't be the right guy. You know why that is? Because when we go through suffering, it lowers our expectations of ourselves and others. When you go through suffering, don't you find yourself saying, I'm always gonna be this way? You have a hard time believing it's ever gonna be different. And people have a hard time seeing that it's gonna be different because typically in those situations, it seems impossible. See, the crowd, when they see this guy, they can't wrap their mind around it because they're like, it's impossible for him to be anything else but a blind beggar. But here's the thing you need to see is that Jesus' healing is miraculous and he can do what you cannot do. And as a Christian, guys, here's the most amazing thing. Guys, we can suffer and hope that we can be healed. Whatever that thing is in your life, it is possible to be healed. There, there are problems that you can have in this life that would be impossible to deal with. But God can deal with them, and he wants to deal with them. He wants to work in your life. Not only is it miraculous, but it's reasonable. Just look at verse 25. As they question him, the Pharisees end up calling Jesus a sinner, which is really funny because, <laughs> because these religious people 
are pointing at the perfect son of God saying, no, they sinned. He's like, what did he do? He healed somebody and has this completely ridiculous story, this ridiculous thing. And then this is the man's response. He says, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that though I was blind, now I see. Guys, the evidence of God's healing and miraculous work is all around you through the works that he's done and people next to you. If you're not a follower of Christ, if church is just a thing for you, just start asking, why are we the way that we are? And you will hear testimonies of people who are blind and lost to God and now have been found and been transformed and completely changed. You will hear stories that say, I was one way one day and then I met Jesus and now I'm completely different. And at this man, after he's been exacerbated over so many questions, just like, I don't have anything else to tell you. And after he says, this is what's been, this is what's happened. The Pharisees throw him out. But look at verse 35, because Jesus isn't done. And we're going to finish here. It says, Jesus heard that they had casted him out and having found him, look at this, he's rejected by man, but accepted by God. He said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came, for judgment, I came in to this world that those who do not see me may see and those who see me may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You need to understand something. Jesus' highest concern is meeting our greatest brokenness, which is spiritual brokenness. Jesus shows back up and finds this man because he still hasn't dealt with his biggest problem. He's healed him of physically being able to see, but now he wants to heal him spiritually so that he would be able to see spiritually with his eyes who Jesus is. Because in verse 25, what did he say? I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't know who he is. I just know he's done this in my life. And now he's saying this. He's, he's worshiping him and calling him Lord. Guys, if God just dealt with your problems and left you alone, you would still have the biggest problem in your life. If, God would, if Jesus just would have healed this guy and let him go about his way, he would still have a big problem because he's gonna die one day. And his eyes are gonna be closed forever. And he would die in distance to his creator. The greatest healing in this story is not the story of him giving sight to someone. It's him taking a person who is spiritually dead and spiritually blind and making him spiritually alive. My question for you this night, Salt Company, is how will you respond 
to the works that you see God doing? Will you respond like this man who says, Lord, or will you respond like the Pharisees who are like, whatever, we don't need you? Because who did Jesus say he was? He said he was the light of the world. Let me tell you something. The sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. God will bring you to a place of decision. At some point, he either is the son of God, the one that deals with your brokenness, or you discard him in the same way that the Pharisees did. Some of us have been walking just this line for a long time, teetering one way or the other. And he's asking you the same question, who is the son of man? How will you respond? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for an opportunity to make much of you, to worship you. Uh, Lord, thank you for this picture of suffering that when you see it, it's not a debate for you. It's not... Um, a just a conversation or a theological point or, or a theoretical thing that you see, but that you see it, you enter into it, you deal with it perfectly, and you have the power to miraculously transform it in our lives. God, thank you that uh, you don't just want to deal with the issues we have here, but you want to deal with the eternal issues that we're going to walk through, and you're the one that wants to work in us. God, I ask that we would deal, that we would have the right perspective as Jesus does, that we need to deal with our greatest problem, not the one that's just in front of us. Lord, we love you, God. Let us make much of you. I pray that you just move so powerfully through these young men and women and that they would be the people that transform their campus.